So we're going to start off with uh, the first five verses of chapter 10 in Joshua. As soon as Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard how Joshua had captured Ai and had devoted it to destruction, uh, doing to Ai and its king as he had done to Jericho and its king, and how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them, he feared greatly. The king of Jerusalem feared greatly because Gibeon was a great city like one of the royal cities and because it was greater than Ai and all its men were warriors. So Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, sent to Hoham, king of Hebron, to Piram, king of Jarmuth, to Japhiah, king of Lashish and to Deber, king of Eglon, asking them, saying, uh, Come up to me and help me. Let us strike Gibeon, for it has made peace with Joshua and with the people of Israel. Then the five kings of the Amorites, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lashish, the king of Eglon, gathered their forces and went up with all of their armies and encamped against Gibeon and made war against it. So here we see the king of Jerusalem. He's alarmed at this situation, uh, the alliance between Israel and the Gibeonites, and he's calling for help from his neighbors uh, to make war with the Gibeonites. So apparently the Gibeonite covenant uh, with Israel was seen as a betrayal of, these, uh, of their neighbors, and they're, they're going to pay for it. The Gibeonites are going to pay for it. What's interesting is that while these kings feared greatly, their fear was directed in the wrong way. Or I'd like to think they weren't afraid enough. Because in verse 1 it says they, that they had heard how Joshua had captured Ai and Jericho. I don't know if you caught that. There's no mention of Joshua's God here. They were afraid of Joshua. The kings think that Joshua and his armies alone conquered those cities, which of course is a big mistake. Uh, this, this reminds me of, of times when I've uh, tried to share a testimony of, of God's provision in, in some way, uh, and, and the, the person just doesn't get it. They just don't get it. They, they, they attribute it to luck or coincidence. Uh, or even worse, uh, some people attribute these uh, supernatural uh, godly provisions you know, to, to good karma, you know, or, or the stars were aligning properly or just right, or, or even to some sort of impersonal energy. But no, um, I mean, they, they ignore or reject God. They, they can't see or they choose to ignore the role that God plays in our lives, or even in the world itself. You just can't recognize the fact that it was God who provided that, whatever it was. So these kings, you know, choosing to reject that the God of the universe is with the people of Israel, and by extension, Gibeon, they attacked the Gibeonites. And even though Gibeon was a great city and its men were warriors. It's now five against one. Five of these kings against the Gibeonites. So in verse 6, the Gibeonites desperately appeal to Joshua 
for help. And it says, And the men of Gibeon sent to Joshua at the camp in Gilgal, saying, Do not relax your hand from your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us and help us. For all the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the hill country are gathered against us. Now Joshua has a decision to make here, uh, whether or not to help the Gibeonites. Because after all, um, under the uh, circumstances, they, the Gibeonites had deceived him. So would, would Joshua and the Israelites honor their covenant, which, by the way, was sworn in the name of the Lord? And would they honor that and come to the Gibeonites' aid? Or, you know, they, they, they could have felt justified in saying, well, you know, serves them right for the way they tricked us into this uh, stupid covenant that we made. But as we know, Joshua and the Israelites, they know the right thing to do, and, and they get right to, to the business of doing it. Like their God, they know that they must honor the covenants uh, and the promises that they've made, and they have to come to the aid of their new allies and servants, the Gibeonites. So just like their God, they, they honor the covenants. So gathering the men of war, you know, all the best warriors, they march up to Gibeon by night, a journey of about 20 miles, which, by the way, um, was mostly uphill. They were going up to the Jerusalem area. So it was quite a feat for them to do this. And they were ready to lay down their lives for uh, people who so recently tricked them and deceived them. It says in verse 7, So Joshua went up from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him, and all the mighty men of valor. And then the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have given them into your hands. Not a man of them shall stand before you. So notice here that the assurance of God comes after Joshua commits his armies. He says, do not fear them, for I have given them into your hands, not a man. So Joshua acted before God gave him this assurance. Joshua knew the right thing, and he did it, and he acted in faith. And then God gave him the assurance. So he must have had fresh in his mind all the victories that recently happened. Um, not to mention the whole Jordan River thing. And uh, so, you know, he's made a few blunders. You know, he, he, at one time he didn't seek the Lord. Another time he acted too confidently. Uh, and this time he allowed himself to be deceived. But he's getting it. He's growing. It's a process. And he's no different than us, is he? We fail. We make blunders. We sin. You know, but when we come back to the Lord, uh, when, when we seek his face, when we repent, He's always ready to forgive. Amen? He's always ready to forgive, always ready to receive us back, and sometimes even turning our mistakes into blessings. And so it is with Joshua, acting on faith, doing the right thing in God's eyes, and God gives him this great assurance, I have already given them into your hands. And this this next section is pretty amazing. It, it describes one day, one very long day, 
I don't know about you, but have you ever uh, come home with this big sigh? You've just had an exhausting day, and, and it's the end of the day, and, and you just said to someone in your house, or, or you know, maybe no one in your house, ah, oh, it's been such a long day, and you just collapse in your chair, or you collapse in your tub, or if you're like me, you just fall down on the floor and just, ah, oh, it's a long day. Well, that's not what happened here. It's not that kind of a long day. It's a literal long day. It was literally a long day. Verse 14 sums it up like this. There has been no day like it before or since when the Lord heeded the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel. Now, as I read this, as I read this section, uh, I want you to listen for at least four miracles. Okay, there's, there's, there's four miracles in here. Verses 9 through 14. So Joshua came upon them suddenly, having marched up all night from Gilgal. And the Lord threw them into a panic, threw the enemies into a panic before Israel, who struck them with a great blow at Gibeon and chased them by the way of the ascent of Beth Haran and struck them as far as Azekah and Makedah. And as they fled before Israel, while they were going down the ascent of Beth Haran, the Lord threw down large stones from heaven and on them as far as Azekah, and they died. There were more who died because of the hailstones than the sons of Israel killed with the sword. At that time, Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord gave the Amorites over to the sons of Israel, and he said in the sight of Israel, Sun, stand still at Gibeon, and moon in the valley of Ajalon. And the sun stood still, and the moon stopped until the nation took vengeance of their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Jeshar? By the way, that, that book is only mentioned one more time in um, in Scripture, and it's a, a book that doesn't exist, but uh, the writer, Joshua, was referring to it as a testimony that this really happened, because it was recorded in this book somewhere. And they were aware of it, and he's referring to this. So is it not written in the book of Jashar? The sun stopped in the midst of heaven and did not hurry to set for about a whole day. There has been no day like it before or since when the Lord heeded the voice of a man for the Lord fought for Israel. So at least four miracles. What are they? The panic. Yeah, all right. So panic. That's one. The hailstones. That's two. The sun stopped. That's three. Okay, there's large stones, but that's, that's kind of referring to the hailstones. The fourth one's kind of tricky. Who did the hailstones hit? Just the enemy. So the hailstones are coming down. There's this huge battle coming on, uh, going on, but the hailstones only hit the enemy. They don't hit the Israelites. It's, it's, uh, I would have missed it too if I, I didn't read about it. So there's, there's four miracles there. 
And, you know, we, we could argue about which one of these miracles is more spectacular than the others, and we'll get to that later. But the main point I want to make here is that once again, the victory belonged to who? Joshua? No, to the Lord. Victory belonged to the Lord. God caused the enemy to panic. God caused the hailstones. God caused the lengthened day. And God caused the defeat of the enemy. So we get that. And then the rest of the chapter, uh, we're going to cover a couple of chapters very quickly here. The rest of the chapter is basically Joshua and his armies finishing up the job, you know, so to speak, with God's help. They end up conquering the whole southern part of the promised land. And then the chapter ends like this. So Joshua struck the whole land, the hill country and the Negeb and the lowland and the slopes and all their kings. He left none remaining but devoted to destruction all that breathed, just as the Lord God of Israel commanded. And Joshua struck them from Kadesh Barnea as far as Gaza and all the country of Goshen as far as Gibeon. And Joshua captured all these kings in their land at one time. And how? Because the Lord God of Israel fought for Israel. That's how this chapter ends. Chapter 11 is basically a repeat of chapter 10, except the Israelites conquered the northern part of Canaan. And, you know, maybe not with such spectacular miracles, or at least they're, they're not recorded uh, by Joshua. But the main point again is that the Lord fought for Israel. And, and the whole conquest of the land uh, is summed up in these verses from chapter 11. So I'm just going to read a few verses from chapter 11. Joshua waged war. Uh, we're going uh, verses 18 tw- through 20 and then 23. Joshua waged war against all these kings for a long time. Except for the Hivites living in Gibeon, not one city made a treaty of peace with the Israelites, who took them all in battle. For it was the Lord Himself who hardened their hearts to wage war against Israel, so that He might destroy them totally, exterminating them without mercy, as the Lord had commanded Moses. So Joshua took the entire land, just as the Lord had directed Moses, and He gave it as an inheritance to Israel according to their tribal divisions, then the land had rest from war. So when we pick up Joshua again, we're going to talk about the, uh, the divisions of the land. So with, uh, uh, then with chapter 12, Joshua provides a list of all the kings that both he and Moses defeated in their possession of the promised land, of course, with the Lord's help. And as a reminder, I want to look back at the reason for all this warfare uh, Leviticus 18.25, it says that the land, or the people of the land, was defiled. So I punished it for its sin, and the land vomited out its inhabitants. And then in Deuteronomy, in the cities of the nations the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance, do not leave anything that breathes, it says. Completely destroy them. The Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, as the Lord 
God has commanded you. Otherwise, and this is the reason, they will teach you to follow all the detestable things that they do in worshiping their gods. And you will sin against the Lord your God if you do that. So the Lord was just in his destruction of the peoples of the land. Again, they had 400 years to repent. I've mentioned a number of times. But the Lord was also merciful. Because if you notice, uh, in that list that I just read, there was a people group called the Hivites. Well, another name for the Hivites is the Gibeonites. And they turned to the Lord. They feared the Lord. God had mercy on them and even sent Joshua to protect them from the attack, as we read about earlier. And so we see that the Lord doesn't treat sin and rebellion lightly, but he also gladly receives those who repent and turn to him for salvation. So again, the, the four miracles. God caused the enemy to panic, the hailstones, the sun stopped. Uh, once again, uh, there's so much debate and discussion about the actual nature of the miracle. Uh, we know that the sun, you know, in scientifically speaking, the sun doesn't really stop. If anything, the earth would have stopped because that's what makes the sun move in the sky. Um, so I like to say that the day was lengthened. Somehow the day was lengthened. We just don't know how God did it. Charles Spurgeon has these wise words. He says, how God did it is no question for us. It is not ours to try and soften down miracles, but to glorify God in them. Yeah, amen. And then again, the hailstones hit only the enemy. But there's one more miracle, I think, that we can't overlook. It's related to Joshua's prayer that the sun stand still or, or the day be lengthened. Which, by the way, was so that Joshua and his armies would have more time to complete the task, to defeat the enemy. He didn't want them to be able to escape uh, under the cover of darkness. So it's not so much the miracle itself that stands out, but the way the miracle came about. There had been no day like it before or since when the Lord heeded the voice of a man. The word heeded is actually translated in this context from the Hebrew as obeyed. Don't you find that amazing? When the Lord obeyed the voice of a man. Now granted, the, the word for obeyed in Hebrew can mean uh, hear or listen or hearken, you know, something like that. And, and probably the most well-known use of this word is, is in Deuteronomy 6, where it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. But this, this Hebrew word, it's not just a, a, a neutral word that, that allows one to listen or hear, but without action. And without remaining, I mean, and while remaining the same. It usually calls for action. Uh, we, we could say it means to hear and to act. That's what the word means, to hear and to act. 
So even, even the translations that tra- translate this as the Lord's listening to or heeding a man, which I, I think is the, the ESV, they have this strong suggestion that what happened was that the Lord listened and acted. He obeyed the voice of a man. But there's, there's something more, uh, I don't know if you notice, uh, in this text. Joshua himself addressed the sun and the moon and told them what to do. And they did it. Which is pretty crazy. Now, now certainly, you know, Joshua didn't have any power of himself to cause a sun and moon to respond the way they did. Only, only God can control the sun and the moon. But the amazing thing is that God made the sun and moon do exactly what Joshua commanded them to do. In that sense, God did just what God, uh, Joshua commanded. The Lord obeyed the voice of a man. Now again, we can't deny the sovereignty of God. And we can't make God our servant and, and turn him into like this, this fix-it guy that we can call on anytime we want at our command. But here we see something of the power of faith in Joshua. Here we see a God who, um, you know, I don't know how else to put it, chose to put himself under the command of his servant Joshua and obeyed his voice, causing the sun and moon to do what Joshua commanded. I mean, that's amazing. It's crazy that the sovereign creator and holy God would listen to the voice of a created and sinful man and do as he says. But think about the boldness of Joshua's prayer, the, the audacity of Joshua's prayer. I mean, we normally and rightfully so, we ask God in prayer and then we respond by obeying Him, right? We ask God for something in prayer and then we respond. But this time, again, Joshua, I mean, God obeyed Joshua. Now, while this might be amazing to us, um, we need to see that Joshua could have such a, a bold prayer request because his prayer was rooted in God's promises to him. That's why he could have such a bold prayer. It was rooted in God's promise, and that's why God could honor that prayer. Because God may as well have prayed it himself. And that prayer, I mean, that promise was, do not fear them, for I have given them into your hands, among many other promises that God has made uh, to Joshua. And this, of course, is a, is a, a very unique moment in Israel's history, uh, but we need to be reminded that we can be bold, and, and we can be audacious in our prayers uh, when our prayers are based on God's promises to us, especially. There was no day like it. Uh, no day like it, at least from the days of creation un- until the time of the kings in Scripture. And, and perhaps there was no day like it even in the whole of the, New- the Old Testament. And this, this is a God to worship. This is a God to admire, to fear, to love, and to trust. And also to serve. A, a God who... Uh, is humble enough, I think, to obey the voice of a man. 
Jesus said to his disciples, and by extension, us, he said, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Now, of course, that means according to his will and according to his promises. And, and, and these, these are the words of Jesus, and, and Jesus is not uh, one to throw words around. He meant what he said. And, of course, this was just before Jesus promised to send the Holy Spirit. Jesus fulfilled that promise. The Holy Spirit came at Pentecost. The church was born, and the world hasn't been the same since. Joshua knew his God. He knew God well enough that he dared to ask an incredibly bold request, an audacious request, a request that resulted in a day in which there has been none like it before or since. And Joshua was able to complete his task based on God's promise that the enemy would be surely defeated. Joshua prayed according to the promises of God. And are you, are we, bold enough to do the same? Are we bold enough to pray according to the promises of God? Jesus promised rest in Matthew 11. And our burdens are lifted with Jesus at the cross. Are you bold enough to pray for that rest? Jesus promised eternal life to those who would trust him in John 14. If you're not a believer, God promises to save you. Are you bold enough to pray for that salvation? Are you bold enough to believe in Jesus and to trust him only? God promised abundant life to those who follow him in John 10.10. Following Jesus brings more than just spiritual fulfillment. Um, Someone wrote, we leave, when you become a Christian, we leave boring behind. Christianity, a life as a Christian can be pretty exciting. Try to convince your friends of that. But it, 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 it is. And are you bold enough to ask for this abundant life, this exciting life where you leave boring behind? Jesus also promised to hold us securely. He says, no one will snatch them out of my hand. And we can be bold in our faith because Jesus will protect us. Jesus promised his disciples power from on high. Acts 1.8. And in this power, they turn the world upside down. Is this church bold enough to ask God to help us to turn this community upside down? Are we bold enough for that? Jesus promised that he will return for us in John 14, 2-3, and from then on we'll be with him always. Are you bold enough to look forward to that return with eager anticipation of Christ's return? I've mentioned before that you know, sometimes I get a little fearful of dying but it takes 
courage, it takes boldness to look forward to that day, either when God chooses to take me home or when He returns. Joshua prayed according to the promises of God. Joshua knew his God. He knew his God so well that he dared to ask an incredibly bold request. And no day has been like it before or since. Praise God. Amen? Amen.